ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa. So sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid... My whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country— The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Okay, um, so I am leaving our little trailer. We're kind of in our main staging area, which is pretty loud. On the edge of Denver, Colorado, is a giant, flat, boring-looking building, two or three times the size of your average Walmart. But inside, it's actually a scientific storage facility. So I'm walking into the warm room. Yeah, there's actually a really fun piece of equipment in here to warm up our hands and eyeglasses. Kurt LeBombard is its curator. And even in the summer, when temperatures are in the 80s, Kurt needs heavy winter gear to work here. That's because the collection he watches over is composed entirely out of ice. Okay, so I'm gonna go into, I'm basically opening a large freezer door. And it's about minus 26 centigrade. So it's not too bad compared to what I'm gonna go into. This is the National Science Foundation's Ice Core facility, a giant freezer where we keep some of our most precious and vulnerable scientific artifacts. The ice cores stored here were dug from places like Antarctica and Greenland, and scientists used them to research the chemistry and the climate of Earth's ancient past. All right, I'm going to go into back storage. So I'm going to hit the lights here. In the back storage area, temperatures are kept at a cool negative 40 degrees. Back here is, is pretty cold. It is a, it is a, it's, 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 it's a bone-soaking cold. The ice cores, which are these cylinders of ice each a couple of feet long, 
are collected in what look like long cardboard tubes lined in aluminum. The way they're piled up makes it look like they go on forever. Each row is 10 feet high and over 50 feet long. There's so many that if you put all of the ice tubes here end to end, they would stretch for some 15 miles. Um, we have cores from Bird Station in 1968. Uh, we have cores from 1965. And each of them tells a story. And then we have the, uh, the Camp Century Corps. I believe that's one of the oldest ones we have. I'm Nate Hedgie, and this is Outside In. Today on the show, producer Daniel Ackerman tells us the story of one of the oldest ice cores on record, a tube of frozen water that helped unlock the planet's hidden climate history, and the unlikely journey it took to get from the bottom of an Arctic glacier to the back storage of a freezing cold warehouse in Denver, Colorado. It's not bad when you're working. When you're just loitering, it gets pretty chilly. It is a wild story, so stay with us. All right, let's start with the tape. On the top of the world, below the surface of a giant ice cap, a city is buried. This isn't from James Bond or the Marvel comic universe. This is a documentary made in the 1960s by the U.S. Department of Defense. The United States Army has established an unprecedented nuclear-powered Arctic Research Center. It's the height of the Cold War, and people in the U.S. are panicked. My mom was in elementary school at the time. She and her classmates would practice hiding under their desks in case of nuclear war. The Department of Defense thought that if the Soviets did lob a nuclear bomb at the U.S., it might come from the north, over the Arctic, over Greenland. So they turned the world's largest island into a giant geopolitical shield. A shield that included a military base carved below the surface of Greenland's massive ice sheet. They called it Camp Century. Camp Century is a symbol of man's unceasing struggle to conquer his environment to increase his ability to live and fight if necessary under polar conditions. In some ways, Camp Century was a really impressive feat of engineering. The base itself was made up of about two miles of tunnels. The overlying snow and ice were held up by metal arches. Today, powered by its nuclear reactor, this unique installation is a completely modern community deep under the ice. Here, there are showers for all and facilities for every modern convenience. There was a rec room with a pool table, a little movie theater, a barber, cuts were 50 cents for enlisted men and a dollar for officers. By all accounts, the grub was decent. Everything from steak to fruit salad. But when it comes to the actual purpose of Camp Century as a military base to, quote, conquer the environment and fight if necessary under polar conditions, well, I'm gonna give away the ending right now. Camp Century was a failure. A series of failures, really. I'll list just three of them. Failure one, the army shot mortar grenades at clouds of fog. This was to try and disperse blizzard-like whiteout conditions, and it did not work. Failure two, the army came up with a secret plan called Project Iceworm 
to turn Camp Century into the Grand Central Station of a vast railroad network for under-the-ice nuclear missile launch sites. Then, the Navy came up with a much cheaper approach. They could simply launch nukes from submarines. And Failure 3 is the really big one. The whole camp collapsed on itself. From the moment Camp Century was built, the ceilings began sagging towards the floors, the walls closed in, because glaciers move, and you can't stop them. Less than a decade after it opened, Camp Century was abandoned forever. But out of all those failures, there's been one huge silver lining. It's in those trenches that people realize we could collect ice cores here and look at climate change. This is Dr. Julie Brigham Greta. She's a paleoclimatologist, which means she studies the history of Earth's climate at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And she says that as of the mid-20th century, we didn't know a lot about climate change. Scientists had proposed a century before that more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere could lead to warming. But the idea wasn't mainstream because it was largely theoretical. You know, I think we were terribly naive. We were really just getting an idea of how the temperature had changed. CO2 in the atmosphere was something we didn't really have any capacity to measure. We didn't have a way of even knowing about that. But at Camp Century, the U.S. military thought they could find out. For a couple decades, scientists had been looking at ice cores as a kind of archive of climate history. And when I say ice cores, I mean long, skinny cylinders of ice pulled out of a glacier. And that's because when snow falls on a glacier, it doesn't just melt the following spring, it, it stays there. The next year, even more snow falls on top of it. And it starts to pile up. The deeper you go, you'll find denser and denser layers of snow. And trapped between the snow crystals are little bubbles of air. As the snow compresses, it literally compresses the bubble. And so the fossil air is preserved in this perfect little chamber in there. This happens year after year for millennia. So when scientists look at an ice core, you can see just annual layers, much like many of us might look at a tree that's been chopped down. And you see the rings in ice going back tens of thousands of years. And you can take samples of those annual layers to see how much carbon dioxide was locked into those air bubbles from 10,000 years ago or from 100,000 years ago. And you can estimate the temperature from those periods, too, by measuring the weight of oxygen isotopes in the ice. And together, these analyses can give an amazingly detailed history of how carbon dioxide and temperature have varied throughout history, since long before humans were shaping the climate. We know how important studying climate change is now. But back in the 60s, it was more of a curiosity. Why not? Let's take an ice core here and see what comes out of it. The Navy wanted to know how quickly sea ice conditions could change in the Arctic Ocean. A core might also answer some basic scientific mysteries. Was the Greenland ice sheet as old as the Egyptian pyramids? As old as the dinosaurs? They wanted to get all the way to the base just to see what they would find. The problem was no one had ever collected an ice core of this size before. At its thickest point, the Greenland ice sheet is almost two miles deep. What kind of machine could even extract such a long core? And how could you make sure the ice didn't melt or shatter along the way? The technology to do this simply didn't exist. That's where Herbert Ueda Sr. comes in. 
So it's kind of ironic. My dad was named after a, what today is viewed as somewhat of a failed president. But anyway. This is Herbert's son, by the way, Herb Jr. Herb Sr. died in 2020. And he was named Herbert after Herbert Hoover. This is, you know, this was six months before the stock market collapsed and the country fell apart. Herbert Ueda Sr. is the man responsible for collecting one of climate science's most important artifacts. He helped lead the mission to extract the Camp Century ice core, which, if you know Herb's backstory, is kind of surprising. Herb Sr. was born in 1929 to parents who immigrated from Japan and worked on a farm in Washington state. We were of Japanese descent. Uh... This is the voice of Herb Sr. himself from an interview he gave in 2002. So, uh... Things got a little disrupted on December the 7th, in 1941, of course. A date which will live in infamy. When Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, the U.S. government forced more than 100,000 Japanese Americans into internment camps, based on the unfounded suspicion that they may be sympathetic to Japan's war effort. Herb Sr. was 13 when his family was sent to the Minidoka War Relocation Center in southern Idaho. The place was designed and built by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Families lived in barracks, surrounded by barbed wire fences, for years. You know, we, we had firemen, policemen, so to speak, uh, schools, uh, you know, churches. Uh, of course, you couldn't just walk out of camp either, but... Uh, if you want to go on a little excursion somewhere, you just crawl over the fence or under the fence or whatever it was and go out and join the jackrabbits and rattlesnakes. And the... Herb Sr. spent three years of high school incarcerated among the jackrabbits and rattlesnakes. Later in life, he almost never spoke about his time there, but Herb Jr. said it changed him. He did not completely buy into America first and America's the greatest place in the world. He didn't preach any of that stuff because he knew there was, there was shortcomings and in his experience, things where it failed him, you know. In 1988, nearly 50 years after the internment, the government finally agreed to pay reparations. They gave every internee $20,000. and Dad took the check and kind of, he just kind of chuckled about it. He didn't say it, but you could tell it was, the thought was like, a little, too little too late, guys, you know. <laughs> but he was a patriotic American. He went, he went into the service right after after the war, Herb Sr. went to college and earned a degree in mechanical engineering. Then he took a job with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the same branch of the military that built the internment camps where he was forced to live. And this might seem like a feat of cognitive dissonance, but as Herb Jr. explains, his father navigated this by keeping his mind on his work, the math, mechanics, and machinery, and not the context surrounding it. He was wholeheartedly into what he did. Normal things like you and I would engage in social things, hobbies, you know, fun stuff. Uh, not a lot of that in his life. His mind was, was churning over what was the next physical problem to solve at work. And his assignment from the Army Corps was just about the biggest physical problem Herb Sr. had ever encountered at work. He was singularly focused on pulling up this damn ice core. So Herb Sr. went to Greenland to try and drill through the ice sheet, all the way down to bedrock. Why? Well, the why wasn't the point. It was an experiment. But merely getting to Camp Century was a challenge that could freeze your pants off. 
The closest human settlement is across 150 miles of windswept ice. The U.S. doesn't own Greenland, by the way, though it has tried multiple times to buy it. Greenland was and is part of the Kingdom of Denmark. So the Army Corps had to get Denmark's permission to build Camp Century and other nearby bases. They didn't bother seeking permission from the 30,000 residents of Greenland itself. Do you remember when you first got there, was there someone who told you what your mission was going to be? I was there to do whatever I was told to do. <laughs> Don Garfield was a drilling engineer who worked for Herb Sr. See, we were called s and science scientists and engineering assistants. And he says the first time his team tried to travel to Camp Century, they got waylaid by a blizzard, a bad one. They classified the storms, they called them phases. Phase one, which was not bad. Phase two and phase three. Well, we were in a phase three. Phase three meant zero visibility and hurricane force wind. Gusts could top 200 miles an hour, hurling baseball-sized chunks of rock. Don said the drilling team had to hole up in army barracks on the edge of the ice sheet, eating nothing but canned rations for a whole week. The wind was blowing so bad, it was coming in the windows, around the windows and doors. We had to use our underwear and socks and towels to keep the snow from blowing in. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but anyway. The storm eventually cleared. Don recovered his frozen underwear and finally hopped a flight to Camp Century. They were headed into a camp that was slowly collapsing in on itself, and one that smelled like human waste. Sewage was poured into an unventilated hole in the ice, not far from the living quarters. On the plus side, there was steak and fruit salad. The modern spacious kitchens provide a well-balanced and appetizing menu. To Herb Ueda, though, none of these practicalities mattered. He had a mechanical problem to solve. He had to pull up a six-inch-wide, mile-long core of ice, which had never been done before. Okay, so let's talk machinery. The Army Corps had invented a special drill for the job. This drill didn't have a sharp cutting bit on the end like your drill at home might. This was a thermal drill designed to melt its way into the ice. The leading edge was a heated metal ring that seared a circle down into the ice and carving out a cylinder that the team could pull up in segments of a few feet each. It was a pretty cool idea, until they tried using it. Don Garfield says it drilled at a pace of about an inch per minute. If everything worked, it would have taken a long, long time to drill through uh, thousands of feet of ice. And did it work okay, though, even if it was slow? No, it never worked okay. <laughs> Each time they thought they'd pulled up a nice cylinder of ice, it would splinter. The ice would come up in wafers, and, and so it would end mm. up all in pieces. Well, the scientists didn't like that. High-ranking military officials would sometimes stop by the drilling rig, not to offer help, but to collect those ice splinters. The big wigs in camp liked to get pieces of the ice core to put in their drinks. It would snap. The bubbles would pop because they're under high pressure. Even worse for Don and Herb, the work was hazardous. As they drilled into the ice, they had to keep the hole from refreezing and closing up. They did that by filling the hole with fluid that was the same density as the surrounding ice. 
they used a mix of diesel and a chemical called trichloroethylene. When we would bring the drill up to recover the core, of course, it was it was covered in, in this fluid and it would splash on us. Our clothes were soaked in diesel fuel and trichloroethylene. The situation made the drillers a team of outcasts in the under-ice camp. At the end of the day, everyone else might unwind over a couple beers, but not the drillers. We couldn't drink. Trichloroethylene and, and alcohol did not mix <laughs> well. <laughs> we would get all flushed and red, and, and uh, so we just, we had no desire to drink. Were you scared for your health? Back then, they said that was not carcinogenic, but now they're saying it's highly carcinogenic. Don's battled stage 4 lymphoma and bladder cancer. He attributes them to his years working with trichloroethylene. Which, by the way, was not only bad for the people. It caused parts of the drill to rust, sometimes to seize up entirely. In the summer of 1959, the first year the team used the thermal drill in Greenland, they barely got any ice at all. Here's Herb Ueda Sr. again. We drilled a total of 89 inches that year, and uh, that was about as far as we got. <laughs> mm-hmm. 89 inches. There are NBA players taller than that. It was pretty disappointing. It just didn't work. Mm-hmm. The project was seasonal. Every summer, the team made a little more progress. In 1961, they made it 575 feet before the drill got stuck in the hole. The year after, it was 750 feet before the drill got stuck again. They hadn't even gotten a quarter of the way to the ice sheet. It was just a struggle. Just a struggle. By the summer of 1964, Don says the National Science Foundation, which funded the drilling, started pressuring the team to throw in the towel. Enough time and money had been dumped down that narrow hole in the ice. But Don Garfield says that, to Herb Ueda, money and time weren't a problem. That was one thing with Herb. He never gave up. A normal person would have given up a long time before that. (laughs) By some accounts, Herb stayed under the ice working in the drilling trench for months at a time, breaking only for food and sleep, never once coming to the surface to see the sun. But he just could not get the thermal drill to work. Finally, I said, you know, we've got to start considering something else. That something else would bring Herb away from Greenland that fall, back to the U.S., to, of all places, the oil fields of Oklahoma. That's right after the break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, 
Get shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. This is Outside In. I'm producer Daniel Ackerman. Now, before we go back to Greenland, a quick detour to the American South. Because at the same time humans were first unlocking the secret history of Earth's changing climate, we were also ramping up the extraction of fossil fuels that sped it up. Through the middle years of the 1900s, the oil industry was booming. Geologists were flocking to the business to try and locate new oil reserves, and engineers were inventing new ways to recover them. One of those engineers was a Russian immigrant named Armias Arutunov. His key innovation was an electrical pump that could be submerged in fluid. That allowed companies to drill for oil in all kinds of new terrain. Groundwater in the hole? No problem. Arutunov started a company around his new drilling technology. And seemingly on little more than a whim, Herbueta took a trip down to Oklahoma to check it out. And the story goes that they found one of Arutunov's drills just sitting unused in a cornfield. Here's Herb Ueda Sr. from 2002. He was willing to get rid of it for 10000 bucks or something. It was, a, you know, it was a bargain. It was a deal. Ueda bought the drill. His team designed a diamond-encrusting cutting bit to attach to the pump and allow it to slice through glacier ice. They hauled the contraption up to Camp Century the next summer in 1965. And this new drill was really their last chance to save the project, because Camp Century was on its last legs. The Greenland ice sheet was doing its best to crush the base like a soda can. And by now, the army had assigned up to 50 men just to go around the camp with shovels and chainsaws and try to keep the walkways passable. So it was now or never. The new drill had to work. They fired it up. Moment of truth. Lo and behold, it worked like a charm. Suddenly, Herb's crew was slicing through 100 feet of ice per day, five or six times faster than the thermal drill. And the cores they pulled up were solid. They didn't disintegrate into cocktail adornments for the army officers. The frustration and heartbreak of the thermal drill gave way to a new rhythm. The team would pull up a segment of the ice core, usually 3 to 10 feet long, and hand it off to Chester Langway, the scientist in charge of analyzing the ice. Langway would then shuttle it off to his collection facility. He'd inspect the length of the core, he'd measure it, and he'd look for layers of grit that might signal volcanic ash from ancient eruptions. And when he was done, he'd slide the core into a cardboard tube, carefully label it, and store it in a rack on the wall. And as the number of core segments grew into the dozens and then hundreds, Langway's collection room started looking like the world's coldest wine cellar. It was all going great. Until... We were down about... Oh, 3,300 feet, I think it was. After slicing another cylinder of ice, Don pulled the drill up to the surface to recover the core, as he'd done hundreds of times before. But this time... The bottom part of the drill wasn't there. And for some reason, 
the connection between the drill motor and the gear reducer section of the drill came unscrewed. And so the whole bottom part of the drill was left down the hole. Wow, wait, so, so there was a cable going all the way down attached to the motor, but then the lower part had fallen off? Exactly. Uh-oh. Our initial reaction was, we're finished, we're all done. They were closer than they'd ever been before. But the drill Herb had hauled all the way from a cornfield in Oklahoma, the drill that seemed like maybe it could salvage this whole endeavor, was stuck more than half a mile into the Greenland ice sheet. Don had one last-ditch idea to recover the drill. He went ice fishing. I came up with this idea of using leaf springs. It would be like a hook on the end of a flat strip of metal. Leaf springs are normally used in the suspension system of vehicles, but Don found some lying around camp, and he essentially turned them into three fishing hooks attached to a slowly spinning motor. And so I very slowly lowered that down. He was hoping at least one of the hooks would snag part of the drill stuck thousands of feet below. What was going through your mind as you were lowering this thing down? Oh, I I just figured we would never be able to get this thing. Very carefully, I raised it up. We got to the surface very slowly, very carefully. We got up there, and and two of the springs had hooked on the lower section. It grabbed it. To me, that was probably the highlight of the drilling, whole drilling exercise. I mean, that, that was more satisfying than than drilling to the bottom. <laughs> we saved the whole drilling program. Here's Herb Ueda Sr. from 2002. And finally, in 1966, on July the 4th, we finished the job. 4,550 feet. And did you hit bedrock? Or? Yeah, we hit bedrock. Finished job. So it took that long. You were the head well, driller, huh? Well, I was the head driller. No, I worked for Lyle, and uh, I think you're being humble. No, no. <laughs> Probably the most satisfying moment of my life, <laughs> my, of my career, of my career. Uh, thanks. That was awesome. Herb Jr. knows a lot about his dad's work, but he had never heard this tape before. So I played it for him. Did you notice a couple things there? <laughs> a, a, the uh, the humility, because all, all these guys will tell you he was the guy. But <laughs> I got to laugh. He says, the most satisfying thing in my life. And then he's thinking, oh, damn, my wife and kids are going to hear this, right? You know, I got to make a correction. Who are we kidding? His career was his life. It was his life. And, and that's okay, you know? But you could hear him, oh, damn, Pat's gonna hear this. Uh, not the birth of his kids, not, and that's, that's who he was. You know, I, I, it's great he could be that honest. After six years of trial and error, Herb Ueda Sr. had solved the mechanical problem before him. Don says the team celebrated their achievement with a cup of coffee. Alcohol wasn't an option because of the chemical fumes. 
The engineers packed up their drill, and the scientists carefully packaged up the hard-won loot. These ice cores really blew open the whole story of, of climate change. This was revolutionary. This again is climate scientist Dr. Julie Brigham Greta. It took a few years for a scientist to analyze all those annual layers in ancient air bubbles. And in 1969, they published a paper in the journal Science. It was called 1,000 Centuries of Climatic Record from Camp Century on the Greenland Ice Sheet. That Camp Century ice core really opened the door to thinking about past climate change with the fidelity of time that nobody had ever seen before. The paper showed that dramatic changes in the climate could happen over relatively short periods of time, sometimes just a few decades. And the Camp Century Corps provided nearly a mile of hard evidence that increasing levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere means warmer temperatures. It helped confirm a century of theories about the greenhouse effect and how burning fossil fuels can turbocharge it. And it helped spawn a whole new scientific field, paleoclimatology, where scientists study the deep history of our planet using the traces left behind, ancient trees and caves, the sediment of lakes and oceans, and of course, ice. The idea that you could have an archive that would preserve um, essentially fossil air and little bubbles, which then drove us, well, what if we drilled the oceans? What if we drilled other ice sheets? What if we went to Antarctica? And that's exactly what Herb Ueda did. After mastering the drilling technique in Greenland, he brought the contraption down to Antarctica, where he pulled up a core almost a mile and a half long. And as for Camp Century, the army abandoned the collapsing camp pretty much as soon as the drilling team finished the job. The Camp Century ice core and the astonishing insight it provided is perhaps the one useful legacy of the city under the ice. And it's a reminder that science is a messy endeavor. Some of society's biggest scientific achievements were driven by our worst impulses. Advanced weather forecasting, computing, space exploration, these are all to some degree byproducts of otherwise devastating conflicts. Camp Century itself was built in part to fight a nuclear war. And that led to another legacy beyond climate science, a darker legacy. The U.S. forcibly relocated dozens of Greenlandic families to make way for the Thule Air Force Base, which supported Camp Century. The residents were given just three weeks' notice. And scientists say radioactive waste from the camp's defunct nuclear reactor, waste that was never fully removed, could impact coastal communities by the end of this century as the ice sheet moves and melts. I think that this is the biggest environmental disaster that Greenland ever has encountered in the Arctic. Alika Hammond is the former prime minister of Greenland. She's one of many politicians and activists who have called on the U.S. to fund a cleanup of Camp Century. The United States have opened their consulate here a couple of years ago, wanting to build bridges between the United States and Greenland and be in friendship. And I think that is a very good idea. But why don't they clean up their mess before they take the next step? This is 2023, and this century should be history and cleaned up by now. Denmark has pledged some money to clean up some Cold War-era military waste in Greenland, but not Camp Century specifically. And the U.S. has made no commitments at all. They don't give a shit about it. Today, somewhere under the Western Greenland ice sheet is a jumble of beds and mattresses, sinks and refrigerators, 
toilets and mountains of human waste. A pool table, a barber's chair. All of it flowing, inevitably, toward the ocean. Quick update to the story. Don Garfield, he was the engineer that used a makeshift fishing hook to rescue the drill, was interviewed for the story last year. But just after we wrapped up production, we discovered that Don died of cancer this past February. He was 81. Thanks to Daniel Ackerman for reporting the story. And if you want to see pictures from Camp Century or get a peek at the NSF Ice Corps facility where parts of the Camp Century Corps are stored today, sign up for our free newsletter or check out the links in the show notes. This episode was produced by Daniel Ackerman. It was mixed and edited by Taylor Quimby. Editing help from me, Nate Hedgie, Justine Paradise, and Felix Poon. Rebecca Lavoie is Outside In's executive producer. Special thanks today to Carrie Harris, Holly Ueda, Chester Langway, Nancy Langway, Laura Kissel, and the Polar Archives at the Ohio State University Bird, Polar, and Climate Research Center. Music for this episode by Amaranth Cove and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder, and as always... Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Remember what to do, friends. Now tell me right out loud. What are you supposed to do when you see the flash? Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday... And French fries are a food group where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.